This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Jair Bolsonaro had yet to concede defeat in Brazil's presidential election nearly 24 hours after Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva was declared the winner. Mr. Bolsonaro, the right-wing incumbent, suggested during the campaign that vote-rigging could yield an illegitimate result, raising fears about an orderly transfer of power should he lose. Lula won with 50.9% of the vote. A majority of justices on America's Supreme Court appeared sceptical of universities' use of race as a factor in admissions. Plaintiffs in the two cases at hand say the practice known as affirmative action, discriminates against Asian Americans. The court has repeatedly upheld its legality, but has recently shown a willingness to ditch decades-old precedent. A decision is expected in June. Annualised inflation in the Eurozone hit a new record in October, soaring to 10.7%, according to Eurostat, the EU's statistics bureau. The jump was partly fuelled by rising energy costs, which grew 41.9% year-on-year, compared with a 40.7% rise in September. The data will increase pressure on the European Central Bank to raise interest rates again at its next decision in December. The bank raised rates by 0.75 percentage points last week. Ukrainian officials said that 12 ships carrying grain had left the country's ports as planned on Monday. Turkey, Ukraine and the UN vowed to press ahead with the Black Sea grain deal, despite Russia withdrawing after claiming that Ukrainian drones had attacked Russian ships. Its withdrawal provoked outrage from the West and raised fears of global starvation. Donald Trump asked the Supreme Court to block House lawmakers from seeing his tax returns, which a lower court had said they could access by Thursday. Separately, at a tax fraud trial against the former president's real estate business, prosecutors accused the Trump organization of, quote, cheating at the highest level. Lawyers for the company said only its chief financial officer was guilty of tax evasion, not Mr. Trump. Advertisers warned Elon Musk, the new owner of Twitter, not to relax content moderation on the social media platform. The Global Alliance for Responsible Media, an advertising industry initiative, said that moderation was, quote, non-negotiable for brands. Advertisement is a major source of Twitter's revenue. Meanwhile, Mr. Musk reportedly plans to charge users for having their accounts verified with a blue tick. Shanghai Disney abruptly locked its gates to contain a COVID-19 outbreak, trapping visitors inside until they can show a negative test. Rides, at least, are still operating. Earlier, videos showed workers fleeing a huge iPhone assembly plant in Zhengzhou in central China as the facility endured its own COVID outbreak. China shows no sign of abandoning its zero-COVID policy, despite the damage to its economy. And fact of the day, 1.2 million, the amount in tonnes of liquefied natural gas awaiting delivery off European shores, up from 140,000 tonnes in August.
And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. What Lula's win means for Brazil Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva will lead Brazil again after winning the country's fiercest contest since it returned to democratic elections in 1989. Mr. Lula of the Leftist Workers' Party will return as president. He previously served two terms between 2003 and 2010 after narrowly beating the right wing populist incumbent Jair Bolsonaro in Sunday's election. Lula won 50.9% to Mr. Bolsonaro's 49.1%, a margin of just over 2 million votes. After a campaign marked by violence and fake news, Lula must pacify a fractured country. Quote, I will govern for 215 million Brazilians, not just for those who voted for me, he said in his victory speech. But Mr. Bolsonaro, who has repeatedly cast doubt on the electoral system, may not accept defeat. Depending on his reaction, Bolsonaristas may resort to street violence. Lula hopes to boost spending to alleviate poverty. Mr. Bolsonaro's allies in Congress, though, may block his agenda. Lula will find governing much harder this time around. Another election in Israel. On Tuesday, Israel is holding its fifth parliamentary election in less than four years. Yet again, the campaigns center around whether Benjamin Netanyahu, the former prime minister who was forced out amid a myriad of scandals in 2021 and is now leader of the opposition, should return to office. Israelis are split on the issue. Right wing and religious parties supporting Mr. Netanyahu are forecast to win 60 seats in the 120 member Knesset. The rest will go to centrist and left wing parties opposed to his return. Under Israel's proportional representation system, no single party has ever won an outright majority in the Knesset. A stable government is far from assured. If Mr. Netanyahu's bloc wins a majority, he will be beholden to far right ultra nationalist parties. If Mr. Netanyahu fails, the incumbent Prime Minister, Yair Lapid, will be stuck with a coalition of squabbling parties, which last time collapsed after only a year. Yet another trip to the ballot box seems likely. The Bad Business Models of Digital Darlings On Tuesday, Uber will publish its quarterly results. Despite being the largest ride sharing company in the world, it is expected to report yet again that it spent more money than it made. And its problems are not unique. After a multi year bull run, American technology stocks are suffering a sharp correction. The tech heavy NASDAQ composite has fallen by almost 30% in the past 12 months. Crunchbase, a data provider, estimates that tech firms have shed more than 4,500 jobs this year. Some of those born after the dot com crash of 2001 seem particularly vulnerable. They include movers like Uber, streamers like Netflix, and creepers like Snap, which make their money by serving targeted ads, which have all seen their share performances decline. These businesses, though diverse, have made similar mistakes, including an overestimation of the value of users and an underestimation of the risk of copycats. Despite what tech enthusiasts once believed, the harsh laws of competitive capitalism still apply online. The Arab League meets. Quote, Sorry, something went wrong, reads an apology on the homepage of the Arab League's Duff website. Many of its 22 member states would agree. 
The group's first summit for three years opens on Tuesday in Algiers, Algeria's capital, but the leaders of most of the Gulf states, Morocco and Syria, which was suspended in 2011, are staying away. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, Saudi Arabia's de facto leader, cried off, citing an earache. And Lebanon has no leader to send after its president stepped down on October 30th. Unlike other regional bodies, the League has no common market or currency and no peacekeeping force. It also has little consensus. Arab leaders disagree on Iran, Libya, disputed Western Sahara, and relations with Israel and Palestine. To find some common ground, the League's chairman, Ahmed Abul-Gate, has suggested a focus on food, security, and other issues caused by Russia's war in Ukraine. But even that leads to rancor. While energy producers celebrate booming economies caused by high prices, consumer countries are crashing into recession. More beleaguered than league, perhaps. George Balanchine's Life and Art The life of George Balanchine, an influential ballet choreographer, was a journey across the political and cultural landscape of the 20th century. Born in St. Petersburg in 1904, Balanchine came of age during an era of revolution. He fled west, first to Berlin, then Paris, and eventually America. In 1934, he helped set up the School of American Ballet, and in 1948, he co-founded the New York City Ballet. Mr. B, a new biography by Jennifer Homans, is a portrait of a fascinating man and of the art to which he dedicated his career. Ms. Homans explores both the technical details of Balanchine's craft and the messy details of his personal life. For Balanchine, dance was inextricably bound up with love and sex. He was a difficult boss, generous but petty and tyrannical. Ms. Homans does not shy away from the darker side of his character, but is willing to forgive him for the sake of his genius. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Tuesday. Which American skyscraper was built in 1930-31 to become the world's tallest building at the time? Monday. Which New Testament gospel is widely considered to be part of a two-volume work along with the Acts of the Apostles? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Walter Payton, who died on this day in 1999. When you're good at something, you'll tell everyone. When you're great at something, they'll tell you. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.